Good evening and welcome to 238 Podcasts. This is your host coming to you again, Brother Pentecost. I'm really excited about tonight's episode. This is the sixth episode. And can I tell you, we are very, very close to correspondence over the last couple days. Um, The time that I usually allot to podcast planning, I looked into correspondence options. I looked into ways of getting uh, our listeners to follow us and be able to communicate with us, ask questions, give updates, kind of tell us what their thoughts are. And uh, so I've worked on that, and I will be giving out a special episode coming up on correspondence. Um, I'm not too sure if the very next upload will be on correspondence or not, but I can guarantee you within the next, hopefully by the sometime very, very soon in the next two or three days, we will have correspondence up, and that'll be working well for us. So, um... So happy to be with you guys on this Friday night. Uh, so glad to be joining in with y'all. Um, what a privilege and a treat it is to spend a little bit of time with everyone and to be able to talk and discuss the goodness of God and the great things God's doing. Um, so this lesson I'm very excited about uh, to talk to you about. It's uh, the mercy and grace of God. And uh, the establishment of blood sacrifices. That's what this story is about. This lesson is about. Um, I want everyone to be able to walk away with the understanding of the mercy of God. The grace of God. What it is. What both of those are. How God showed those to us. And then also blood sacrifices. That's something else I want everyone to be able to walk away knowing a little bit about. And um, you're not able to in a less than an hour podcast, be able to say everything about God's mercy, everything about God's grace, everything about blood sacrifices. Like there's a lot that goes into all of that. There's a lot of scripture in the Bible. We could be here all night, all day tomorrow, just talking about scripture after scripture after scripture that points to God's mercy, God's grace, and blood sacrifices. So it's very, very much... um, uh, very, very much a lot. So do plan to hear more in the future, maybe more about God's mercy, more about God's grace, more about animal blood sacrifices, stuff like that. So let's jump right in to the lesson that we got prepared today. Um, the previous lesson we learned about God's just nature. Um, we learned how God's requirements for his creation His humanity are set and they're not changeable. They don't change from one person to the next. In Acts chapter 10 and 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So he doesn't look at at a race, gender, background, age, ethnicity, and then determine what he's going to require out of mankind. But rather, he sets the order for mankind and expects expects all of us to follow his orders, regardless of our demographics. So, um, and another thing about God's justice, uh, we know that that God's just, so he deals with everyone fairly. But also, he judges sin completely perfect without any unjust judgments. He doesn't look at sin and give too much of a punishment or not enough. He judges it exactly how it's supposed to be judged. 
He doesn't respect you because, oh, you're black, so you're not going to be judged for that sin. Or, oh, you're a woman, so you're not going to have a judgment for that sin. But God judges every sin equally. God looks at sin and judges it exactly how it is and doesn't look at your person or demographics or anything like that and judge you. He doesn't look and say, oh, you've been a Christian this many years, so you committed this sin. You're, for, you're okay. But God looks at sin and he judges it exactly how it's to be judged. That proves God's just nature. So we, we discussed the just nature and we discussed how the price of sin was death. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. The way death is, sin is paid for is through death. That's very, very scary. Think about that. Imagine all of us, all of us humanity, All of us filthy humans that have been born in sin. All we have to do to become a slave to sin is to be conceived. We don't even have to come out of the womb like a two-year-old. He's never committed a sin, okay? A two-year-old has never lied to his mom and dad. Maybe two-year-olds can. Uh, Let's say six-month-old. A six-month-old has never told a lie. A six-month-old has never had an attitude. I mean, maybe some six-month-old babies come could have an attitude and already have a little bit of a mean streak, possibly. I don't think so at six months. But, you know, you don't even have to have an attitude. You don't have to have, have lied. You don't have to have thrown a fork off your high chair to be, to be a sinner. All you have to do is to be conceived. Romans 5 and 12 tells us, Wherefore, as, one, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin... And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For, by, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, their nature became sinful. That became their nature. So when they had children, their nature was passed on. They, weren't, they, weren't, they were created in the image of Adam. And they put on a sinful nature. So, for example, if you have a parent, there's parents that pass on diabetes to their kids. If you have a type 1 diabetic and that type 1 diabetic has kids, there's, I don't know the percentage, but there's a certain percentage of, the, of chance that the kid's going to get it. Um, and that's not how it is with sin. Sin, it's not a chance you're going to get it, but sin, you're going to get it. It's like if you got two parents that have red, uh, black hair, it's almost impossible to have a kid that's a blonde. And maybe it does happen. I don't know the stats on that. But you're almost guaranteed. You are guaranteed for the most part. If you have a, a brunette father and a brunette mother, they are going to make brunette children. Very unlikely for it to be anything but. Um, almost, and it could be even impossible. I really don't know the statistics on that either. But all I could tell you is that sin is something that's passed down in your genes from your parents who got it from their parents all the way back to Adam. Sin was created. The Bible tells us one man, sin entered into the world. One man's disobedience made many, many sinners. And, you know, and we realize the price of of sin is death. The only way to get rid of sin is by death. The only way to pay for sin is through death. That's a very important concept to understand, to remember, because we are still living by that today. 
Even though we now have mercy, we now have grace. We're still living by that today. Sin is always paid for by death. That's alive today. If I sin today, the only way to pay for that sin is through death. And that's not changing. A thousand years from now, that'll still be true. If God tarries on this earth and God allows us to tarry, a thousand years from now, my great, 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 great grandchildren will still have to live by that principle that sin is paid for by death. And that could be scary. If that's all we could, if that's all we could say, if that's all the that if that's all the place the story went, if the story ended there, we would be so sunk. We would be so so depressed because that means we would have to die to pay for our sin. It would be on us. It would be my price to pay. But tonight I can report the best part of the story has not even been told yet. So just as we learned a few nights back, God's nature is 100% just. He's just all the way. He's fair. He's balanced. He's, he's steady. He's fairly ruling. That's how God is. He judges sin for what it is. Um, justice, the justice of God said, nope, Adam and Eve have to be punished. So that's something you can't take for granted. There's many people, and I'm fixing to get into mercy and grace. There's many people that rely on mercy and rely on grace. And that's why there's people that will call themselves Christians, but they'll live however they want to live because they look at mercy and they look at grace. They look at what God has given, what God has forgiven, but they don't look at the just nature, how God judges. God judges based off of sin. God judges sin. And the only way to properly do that is to follow the plan that God's given us. So, but just as God's nature is 100% just, and I don't want you to forget that. I want every listener to remember that. If, if, if you got to go over and listen to episode 5 again to remember and get in your mind that we serve a just God. A God that judges sin. A God that judges disobedience. A God that requires things out of His people. A God that has limits, that has boundaries, that we are not to cross. And we got to remember that before we go to remember. His nature is also 100% mercy. Numbers 14 and 18 says, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people, according unto the greatness of thy mercy, as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. So it starts out saying, the Lord's long-suffering. He's of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And that sounds awesome, right? And then it goes on to say, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation. This is a perfect verse to explain how our God works. It's perfect. He's a very merciful God, but he does not allow sin to go free. He'll judge it up all the way up until the third and fourth generation. God will meet the sin. God will not allow sin to run free. God will meet sin exactly where it's at because of his just nature. He's too just to let sin go unpunished, to let sin go free. But 
If you want to focus on justice and you want to focus on that, go back to the previous episode, episode 5. But from here on out, we're going to learn about mercy and grace. But you still may hear me point to justice because God, we are living in a society that is so full of mercy and grace and has that clear picture of God as this loving teddy bear or this ATM machine that you go to God and you get whatever you want out of Him, but you don't got to do nothing in return. But I'm telling you tonight, there's another part, and it's mercy. So let's define mercy. So mercy, in the dictionary, it's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So the best way to put it is mercy is not getting something you're deserving of. It's being spared from something that you deserve. Um, Christians would usually say it's a spontaneous... um, I'm sorry, we're going into grace. Grace, Christians, the way we could say that is it's a spontaneous gift from God to people. It's It's a generous, free, and totally undeserved gift that takes form of divine favor and love. It's an attribute of God that's most manifest in the salvation of sinners. So grace and mercy, these are two things that go hand in hand. Mercy is God sparing you from something that you deserve. God has power to punish or harm us. He could literally destroy humanity. He could literally throw every last human being out the window, forget about us, destroy us because of sin. But it's that compassion and forgiveness that he shows. And grace, on the other hand, is getting something that we don't deserve. So grace is a gift. Mercy is, is forgiveness. It's, it's God wiping away sin. It's God taking away something that we deserve. So 1 Chronicles 16.34 Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. 2 Samuel 24 and 14 And David said unto Gad, I am in great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. And let me not fall into the hand of man. Deuteronomy 4 and 31. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he sware unto them. Ephesians 2 and 4, New Testament. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. So these are just a few out of very, very many. As I said earlier, I could stay here all night just quoting off scriptures and showing places in the Bible where God was merciful, where God showed mercy to individuals, to the people of Israel, to enemies, to nations that were wicked. God showed mercy. Nineveh is a good example. And we'll maybe eventually hear about Nineveh. So We can quickly tell just with these four scriptures here that God is merciful in nature. So, just as He's just, He's 100% just, He's also 100% merciful. He's full of justice, but He's also full of mercy. And then another thing, so that mercy is that forgiveness. That, That mercy is God saying, hey, you're deserving of death, you're deserving of hell, you're deserving of the grave, but I'm taking that away. That's mercy. Grace, on the other hand, God is full of grace. Exodus 34 and 6, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, 
long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children under the third and fourth generation. So there we are again, God. This this is probably one of my favorites here for this this lesson because in these two verses we see both mercy, grace, and justice all working together. So you see God's forgiving, God's given grace, but at the same time he's a just God, and I really like to see that because I don't want to forget that. It's easy to forget this in this era that we're living in. The spirits that are fighting in this day want us to just believe that there's no justice with God. God doesn't judge sin, but God does. Titus 2 and 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. 1 Peter 5 and 10, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye had suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. In those few scriptures above, we can easily see that our God is a very gracious God. So if we were to bring all the scriptures that tell of God's mercy and grace into this episode, I'm telling you, like I said, we would be here for hours upon hours. So if you need more scriptures on grace, if you need more scriptures on mercy or or the just nature of God, any of the natures of God that we're discussing, you can easily search online. You can search in a concordance in the Bible specifically for scriptures on grace and mercy and justice. Those can be found. But tonight I want to focus on what God's grace and mercy really mean to us today. We see what it means to the children of Israel. God gave them forgiveness of sin. God gave them salvation. God gave them a second chance. We see that. But what did God bringing his grace and mercy into our worlds do for us today? Because as Christians, the worldwide Christian world, it's, denominally speaking that is, we don't have a true understanding and appreciation for the grace or the mercy of God. Well, we can tend to create our own definition of mercy and grace. We can try to create our own way of living according to how we're feeling and, and not directly according to the mercy and grace of God. So first, let's discuss mercy in depth. What is mercy again? So I'm going to ask each of y'all a question. Each of y'all. Think of this in your mind. If you got to pause to think about it before I go further, think about it. Have you ever been deserving of something that you didn't want? Ever. I can give you a personal story. I recall the time I did something very, very bad. I remember uh, my family, we got invited over to a family friend's house. Some people... um, in the church, we got invited to their house, and I remember as a young little boy, probably six, seven, eight, somewhere in that area, I was told, and I, we were there for food, din- eating dinner, whatever, and I, we, I remember, I don't even know if it was Hawaiian punch or fruit punch, or all I remember was a red juice, it might have even been Big Red, I just remember it was a red juice that I was drinking, and uh, I was told by my dad, whatever you do, don't take your drink on the carpet. Don't go into the living room, the hallway, the bedrooms with the drink. Stay in the kitchen. And there was a lot of people in the house. I remember it was somebody's birthday party. And we were there for hours, you know. And the house was full of people. And 
people walking all around. And I remember a few minutes later, without really thinking about it, I know my dad had told me not to take my drink in the carpet, but everyone else was doing it. I I was like, you know, everyone's in there in the living room with their drink. I got to take mine. So I took mine into the living room and totally disobeyed my dad. And uh, I remember I was in there and we got to horsing around. And I think it was me and a friend. We were on the floor wrestling. And boom, I kicked over my Kool-Aid, my Hawaiian punch, whatever it was. I kicked it over. And it spilt on the carpet in front of everybody. It wasn't just me and my dad. Everybody was there, but especially my dad. He's the one that just told me not to take the drink on the carpet. And so my dad came over to me and said, you know, when, you're, when we get home, you're getting a spanking. You're getting spanked when we get home, I promise you. And, and so I, I just started dreading it the entire rest of that night. As we drove home, it was a long drive. I knew I was going to get busted. But when we got home, my dad told me, you know what? You disobeyed me. You did what was wrong. You did wrong. But I'm not going to spank you tonight. I'm going to let you off the hook. And I'm going to remind you, you need to obey me. I could spank you because you did disobey me. But I want, I want you to know, I'm, you need to start listening. Next time when I tell you not to take a drink on the carpet, you don't do it. And that was my dad showing me mercy. And because I deserved a spanking. I deserved to go get a spanking. Then get two weeks uh, restriction from going over to friends' homes or going out with friends or anything like that. But God, my dad showed me mercy. I deserved that punishment. It wasn't my dad's fault that the drink spilt. I disobeyed my dad's instructions. I disobeyed my father. I, I was not the one listening. It wasn't my dad's fault at the end of the night whenever I was going to get spanked. But it was my fault. Because I didn't heed to what I was told by my father. And that's mercy. That's mercy. Mercy is saying, hey, this you're deserving of this. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get the punishment that you deserve. But grace, on the other hand, I'll give you an example of grace. Have you ever been shown grace? Think about this. If you have to pause it, think about a time somebody showed you grace in, in this life. Obviously, God, if, you, if you're saved, God's already showed you grace which he's already showed every every man grace, but you got to, and we'll get into it, um, you got to work out the way. Um, but I can tell you a time when I was shown grace. Um, I remember whenever I started college a couple years back, um, I, was, I was really needing to get into school, and a family member of mine, came to me and said, I want to give you something. Here's $1,500 to get into school. You know what? I didn't do anything for that relative to give me that money. I didn't go mow their yard or go clean their house or buy them something or do something for them. All I did was show up and see them and they handed me $1,500. They showed me grace. Because I didn't, I got something I didn't deserve. That's grace. So when God gives us things that we don't deserve, that's grace. So just like me, 
just like me, Adam and Eve were shown grace and mercy by God. Just like I'm, I'm bringing out these earthly examples of family members showing me mercy and grace. But God showed Adam and Eve mercy and grace in the garden. How? In Genesis chapter number 3, verse number 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So how did he show them mercy? Well, justice, the just nature of God, said, okay, if you eat of the tree of the garden, you're going to die. That called for an immediate death, spiritually and physical. Their sin, they were deserving of death. But God did not kill them right away. He could have killed them right away. The second they disobeyed, they could have served the life sentence and died right then and there. Because justice said, sin can only be purchased with death. Sin has to have a, a, a sacrifice of life. Sin has to have it. And they deserve that spiritual and physical death. But God showed them mercy and said, hey, you deserve this, but I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to make you die. You deserve it, but I'm not going to make you die. That's how mercy stepped in. But how did God show grace to them? Remember, grace is giving something that is not deserved. So what did God give them in the garden? Because God gave them something. God gave them something in the garden as a gift of grace. What is it? So let's look at the previous scriptures. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. And the eyes of them both were open. This is following them eating the, the forbidden fruit. And they knew that they were naked. This is when they realized that they messed up. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. So following the fall of men, following their sin, when their eyes were open, what's the first thing that Adam and Eve did? They sewed the fig leaves together to make aprons. What was the purpose? What were they trying to do? They were trying to cover up what they'd done. They were trying to cover up their sin, if you will. They were trying to cover up the sin. Did God allow their chosen attire to stay on them? Yes or no? If you've got to pause it to think about it, think about it. This is getting back to the basics. God did not allow them to keep their attire. They sewed the fig leaves on and God came and confronted them. God came walking in the garden 
And they hid themselves. They tried to hide their sin. They tried to cover up their sin. But God said, God called them on the carpet, if you will, and said, hey, where are you? And that's when Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? And he knew, God already knew, but he was giving them an opportunity to confess. He was giving them an opportunity to, to show what they, what they had done wrong. But in verse 21, God did something very symbolic that established something that we are still living with today. Our God created a very, very symbolic thing. And remember, the only thing that will pay for or cover up sin is death or the shedding of blood. So in verse 21, the Lord God made coats of skin and clothed them. So God, in order to make those coats of skin, something had to die. So in order, the way God clothed them after they sinned was through the skins of an animal. God used the animal's skins to cover the sin. And even though God covered their sin, it was still ruling over them. Basically, their nakedness was not visible, but it was still very, very much alive. Romans, the fifth chapter, the 14th verse in the New Testament tells us, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So death reigned from Adam to Moses. Death was still reigning in that day. Death was still in control over mankind. Jesus Christ came eventually. And uh, it was prophesied of His coming all the way in the punishment when God told the, the serpent, He said, you're going to bruise the hill of the seed of the woman, but his, her seed is going to bruise your head. It's going to crush your head. And, and that was a prophecy of Jesus Christ who was coming. They said, you're going you're gonna to bruise his heel. And he was, his, his heel was bruised. He was beat. He was tortured. He, he was treated so poorly. And that was them bruising his heel. But Jesus Christ came. When Jesus Christ came... And he died for us and he paid the price. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But when he came and he paid that price, the head of the serpent was crushed because death was no longer ruling. So even though God covered their sin, it still had the power and it still was in charge because it was not conquered or washed away. It was not conquered. The sin was not destroyed. It was just covered. It was just temporarily covered. But in the next generation, we see blood sacrifices started happening. A Genesis 4 and 1, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest not well, um, 
I'm sorry. If thou doest not well, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Well, what do we see here? We see a story, Adam and Eve, their children, were established. Somewhere along the way, they started offering up sacrifices to God. And Adam had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain was the older, Abel was younger. God told somewhere along the way, they started making these sacrifices to God. And Cain brought fruit of the ground. He brought stuff from his garden. He, would, he kept the ground, so he brought what he, what he felt like bringing, what, he, what was easy for him to bring. But Abel, he brought the firstlings of his flock. He brought a sacrifice of death. He brought a sacrifice of animal, of blood, a blood sacrifice. He brought that to God. And the Bible says, The Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but to Cain and to his offering he had not respect. So there's a principle we pick up here. First of all, we see that establishment. The second generation of human beings on the earth was already doing animal sacrifices. But another thing we see here is that God has a certain plan. We've already learned that God's a just God that judges sin, but we've also learned He's a God of order. God creates order. When God set up animal sacrifices, He set it up for a reason. He set it up for a plan, for a purpose. And when they brought this sacrifice to God... They had to do it right. God did not accept any sacrifice. The, the Bible tells us obedience is better than sacrifice. So God wants obedience. God wants truth to be prevailed. The obedience is what God's looking for. He's not looking for just any sacrifice. Anyone can bring any sacrifice. That's why you got churches all around that are preaching things, but you can't count them because they're not true. They're not true things. If they're not, if it, I can tell you this, and with all due respect, I know there's sincerity out there. I know there's people out there that are trying their hardest to do what's, what they know to do is right. And I believe if, in my, in the way I look at it, is if God, if you are looking to do something for God and you want to do what's right, God will lead you to do what's right. God will not allow you to not do what's right. So we see a trend continue. Following the flood, Noah, the Bible tells us in Genesis 8, a few chapters later, Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and he took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from youth. Neither will I again smite any more ever living, everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth seed time and harvest and cold and heat, Summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. So we see the flood after the flood, Noah and his family. The first thing they did is they offered animal sacrifices to God. They offered sacrifice to God. And then in Leviticus chapter number 4, I'm not going to read through it. It's 35 verses long. I really recommend those of you listening in to go check this out. Read this chapter maybe today tomorrow, wherever you're at in life, when you find an open spot, go read Leviticus chapter 4. We see here, this: the law was written to establish rules, ordinances, principles concerning blood sacrifices. I will read a couple of the first verses. 
The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord, concerning things which ought not to be done, and shall do any of them, if the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, let him bring for his sin which he hath sinned, a young bullock, without blemish unto the Lord, for a sin offering. He shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head, and kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall take the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. And there's more rules concerning different things with, with sacrifices and offerings all the way through. So, um, that's there in, in that whole chapter. In the following chapters, I believe that was chapter 4, chapter 5, 6, 7. They all are full of scriptures and verses and laws and, and regulations concerning animal sacrifices. So I, I really recommend you going through and reading that. And I will say this, I do recommend you reading through the entire Bible. Those of you that have started listening to this podcast, if you yet to have a specific set Bible time where you read the Word of God daily, I recommend you getting a plan. Whether you, and it's totally up to you what kind of plan you follow. You can follow a daily plan where you read three chapters, four chapters a day, and you start in Genesis and end in Revelation. You can get a chronological order of the Bible online. And you can read it like that, but I recommend, and it's, it's, it's for your good, to read the Word of God frequently. The Word of God will change you. The Word of God is alive. The Word of God, the Bible tells us, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the Word of God will help us discern. So, God required these animal sacrifices, and I believe eventually I will dig more deeper into animal sacrifices with you, share the certain laws that were there concerning the sacrifices, but I just want to get a basic, we're still in the basics of what we believe, basics of the Bible truth, and I want to keep it really basic right now as we learn, and the more we learn, we'll, we'll learn more, more details concerning it. And I really look forward to making this podcast go as long as we can and having new stuff always. So once again, when we do get correspondence, whenever you shoot ideas with the, to us, it'll be awesome to be able to stay um, where you want us and having the things that you want from us. So God required these animal sacrifices to provide a temporary covering of sin and to foreshadow the perfect and complete sacrifice that was to come. And that was Jesus Christ. So these sacrifices, because sin, we know that sin can only be bought with death. But God, in his mercy, did not require us to die. We deserve to die. Don't forget that. We, as human beings, deserved death. Adam and Eve, when they felled God in the garden, they deserved death. Cain, Cain, we know, killed his brother. And uh, he deserved death. All these people deserve death. That is, the, that is the ultimate price for sin. So these animal sacrifices were a gift of grace from God. We didn't deserve the, the animal sacrifices. We did not deserve those. But God gave them to us to be able to pay for our sin. Did they pay for sin? No. They covered sin. They gave a temporary covering. Kind of like the animal skins. 
Those animal skins did not pay for, for Adam and Eve's sin. The animal skins covered their sin. The animal skins that God gave them were, was not taking away their sins. But they were covering up their sins. So that's what the animal sacrifice did. And another thing it did is it foreshadowed the coming sacrifice that would pay for sin. It, it foreshadowed it. It, it. it came ahead and it, and it played in the place of, of that sacrifice that was coming. That sacrifice was Jesus Christ. So, animal sacrifice was important. And it is an important thing that's found all throughout Scripture. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9 and 11, or 9 and 22, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. The Bible literally tells us that. There's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. There has to be a shedding of blood. So, when Adam and Eve sinned, the only way to forgive them of those sins and to cover those sins was through the shedding of blood. So God took those animal skins that after their, their shedding of their blood, God took those animal skins and provided clothing for them. Um, Noah, as we saw, sacrificed animals to God. So God commanded the Israeli nation in the, in the Old Testament to perform these sacrifices according to the certain procedures that were given by God. So God gave these procedures, and that's kind of what we read through in Leviticus, and we didn't really stop with the procedures that God gave, but the, the purpose is, of this is to know the principle, which is the animal sacrifices. So the first thing about the animals, it had to be spotless. You couldn't bring a sacrifice to God that was filthy. That's with our sacrifice today. Second, the person offering the sacrifice had to identify with the animal. So it couldn't just be a random animal. You had to know, you had to be able to identify that animal. Third, the person offering the animal had to give, had to inflict death upon that sacrifice. Those were the three procedures given. So first, it had to be spotless. So that, that's kind of showing us God requires a certain type of sacrifice. It can't just be a half-hearted sacrifice, but it has to be spotless. Second of all, it's got you've got to identify with that. You've got to be able to identify with that, that, and it's got to be something that you know. You've got to basically be aware of of the, the sacrifice that you're making. And then third, you have to do it. You have to kill it. You, no one else. And the principle there is no one else can bring your sacrifice for you. It's something you have to do on your own. My mom cannot make my sacrifices for me. My dad can't. My pastor can't. My grandparents can't. I have the best family in the world that's lived for God, but none of them can make my sacrifices for me. God requires me to do it. So when done in faith, these, these animal sacrifices gave a covering temporarily for their sins. So another sacrifice that they were that they had to do was on the day of atonement and you can find this in Leviticus the 16th chapter and the day of atonement that was that demonstrated forgiveness and removal of sin Um so we the high priest had to take two male goats as a sin offering 
And one of the goats they killed as an offering for the people of Israel. And the other goat was let go into the wild. So the sin offering is what gave them forgiveness. And the other offering that went off into the wilderness showed the removal of sin. So it it basically drove, it was the driving away of that sin. So the first one was the forgiveness of sin. The second one was the driving away of that sin, the removal of that sin. So let's get right back to the basics as we start to get ready to close up. I'm not quite done, but let's get back to the basics, the questions that we have. So a question that you may have after learning about God's grace, how God gave us the gift of grace, how God showed mercy, and how God established this principle of blood sacrifices. God established that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. So, the question that I'm thinking that many may have now is, if all that happened, then why, is we as, why are we as Christians not still giving up the annual sacrifices to God? Because don't forget, they had to do this annually. Every year they had to go make these sacrifices. But the answer is very simple, yet complex. So we no longer have to make animal sacrifices because Jesus Christ, in His mercy and grace, became that ultimate sacrifice. John the Baptist in John 1 and 29 said, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist saw that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God. The ultimate sacrifice that was coming was prophesied many years before from the days of Adam when it said the the seed of the woman was coming to bruise the head of that serpent. That's what happened that day when Jesus came. Jesus came and He paid the price for mankind. 1 Timothy 2 and 5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus Christ gave Himself. His life He laid down for me and you. He died on a cross. He suffered. He did all of that. And you may wonder why. He did it so that we could go free. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be the right, made the righteousness of God in Him. So Jesus became our sin. He put on sin. He took on our sin the world. He took on the fall of man all the way from Adam till now. He took on that sin and he died and he paid the price for that sin. And Hebrews 7.27 Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once, speaking of Jesus, when he offered himself up. So that scripture shows us animal sacrifices are no longer needed. Because He offered Himself up. He did it one time. He did it for us. We no longer have to do these daily um, sacrifices yearly and, and on a specific time schedule. Because we're not no longer rolling away our sin. And there's a process, and we're going to talk about that process very, very soon. But there's a process that we follow. And that not only covers our sin, but it purchases our sin. It doesn't just put on animal clothes, animal skins to cover up sin, but it cleanses it from us. It's the remission of our sins. So in summary, 
those animal sacrifices were given to us by God as grace so that we could experience forgiveness of sin. They could in that day. The animal died in the place of of the sinners, but only for a temporary time. That's why these sacrifices had to be done over and over and over and over again. So when Jesus Christ came, the ultimate sacrifice came. He became the substitute for all of us. And now He's the only mediator between God and us. The only way that God and us are now... He's a mediator. A mediator is someone that stands in between something. The only thing that stands in between us and God now is Jesus Christ. So that separation that we've talked about several episodes ago, when mankind in the garden fell, was driven out of the garden, and was forever separated from the presence of God. They were driven out of God's presence. And you know what that was? It was separated. But the mediator came. When the mediator came, Jesus Christ, when He came down, He became that mediator And He brought us together again. He brought us back to our nature to be with God. He brought us back to a place where we could live and glorify God, where we could please God, and where we could fellowship with God. He brought us back to that place. So the only way... The only way we can pay for sin. I'm sorry, I'm just so... When I talk about this, this really sticks with me. The only way we can really pay for sin is when Jesus Christ came and gave Himself for our sins. So the animal sacrifices only illustrated and foreshadowed God's coming. Only illustrated the Messiah's coming. Didn't pay for sin. It only rolled it away for another year. It only rolled it away for another bit of time. But the blood of Jesus came and it purchased our freedom. It purchased our ability to live natural lives, to live connected to God. 1 Peter 1 and 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions from the fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. He said, look, it ain't anything corruptible. It ain't money. It ain't conversations you've had, things you've said or done. It ain't anything out of the traditions of your fathers, but it's with the precious blood of Christ. That is what paid for your sin. That's what redeemed you. That's what purchased you. And then Hebrews 4 and 14 final scripture I'm going to bring tonight. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. What's a high priest do? The high priest in the Old Testament offered a sacrifice for the people. That we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Wow. Do you see what I see there? It says we have a great high priest. The high priest was kind of that mediator in the Old Testament that, that 
went to God on behalf of the, ch- the church, the children of Israel. And it says, Jesus, the Son of God. But it says, He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. He was tempted just like me and you. But He was without sin. And then it tells us, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, verse 16, we see grace and mercy coming back together. Let us come under the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So, something stands out to me here. I don't know if it stands out to you, but it stands out to me. It says, let us therefore come boldly. Let us therefore come. So, there's something we have to do. There's a responsibility that we have to come to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace. You don't just you don't just have mercy because God gave it, but you've got to come to the throne of grace. Just because God died does not mean you're guaranteed grace. You have to come boldly and look for it. You have to search for it. There's something you have to do to find grace. You have to come to the throne and find grace. So in the following lesson, we're going to learn about obedience and the proper way to find that forgiveness. To find that grace. How do we come boldly to the throne of grace? That's the next question I want to answer. How do we come boldly to the throne of grace? And I want to touch on obedience and how God... There is a certain way. We've learned that. We've already covered that God's a God of order and God orders things. And there's God requires things out of human humanity. And therefore, there is a certain way to live. There is a certain way to do it. But we're going to figure out how important is that certain way to God. Does God really want obedience? Because something happens. If, if, we, if God is really particular about obedience, if that is something that's important to God, we better start obeying. We better start finding out what it is that God wants us to do and we better obey it. Because who wants to be in trouble with God? Not me. So we will discuss that in the following lessons. Thank you all for joining with us tonight. I'm so happy for everything that's gone on in this episode. So glad we've learned about grace, mercy, the blood of Jesus Christ. He came. He shed His blood. I'm looking ahead at all the beautiful um, lessons we're going to be having in the future. Looking forward to it. Good night. God bless you all.